Keep running! When you get to the wall, jump! shouted the mouse. Trevor didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to think. He couldn't jump that high, just like he couldn't run this fast. There was no time to question, so he just did it. Up he went, and over the wall he sailed. And as he did, he noticed something. Perhaps it would be more apt to say he noticed the absence of something. There was nothing on the other side. He was flying out into a great chasm. Unexpectedly, his feelings changed from the thrill of an escape to the terror of a fall. Don't be afraid, yelled the mouse as they sailed into the darkness. Chapter 6 Down the River Trevor fell feet first into the void. Looking up, he saw boogeymen gathering and shouting down. Zephyr was blowing hard. Just a minute ago, it had sped them up. Now it slowed them down. They were falling as gently as a leaf on the wind. What's going to happen to us? Trevor said. There was no answer. In a flash, he realized you can't talk and blow at the same time. With that thought, he was content to wait. But wait for what? The wait ended with a light splash. Trevor didn't know how to swim. Since swimming is a lot of fun and very useful, the guardians never thought to teach it. As he sank, Zephyr gave a bubbly shout into his ear. Stand up! He hadn't thought of that. Down went his feet and up came his head. Fortunately, the water was shallow. Unfortunately, it smelled just awful. Welcome to the sewers, Zephyr said. Never fear, nothing unclean can harm you so long as I'm with you. Now, give me your hand. Trevor reached up to his ear and the mouse stepped into it. Let's have a look at you. He held the mouse in front of his face. Hmm, you don't look too much worse for the wear. I think I'll risk a little more light so we can have a look around. What had been a weak glow grew in intensity until the mouse shone with the radiance of a candle flame. Something slithered away along the surface of the water. Floatsam and jetsam bobbed all around, and Trevor clenched his mouth shut and hoped he hadn't swallowed anything when he was underwater. What do we do now? We swim out of here naturally. What else? Zephyr answered. But I can't swim. Don't worry, the water stays shallow. It will be more like walking than swimming. Where we're going isn't far. Besides, we'll be going with the current. It should only take a few hours. I'm cold, Trevor said, shivering. Not for long. A few minutes of swimming will warm you right up. Here, put me on your head so you can use both arms. The mouse was right. 
Nothing gets the blood moving like swimming, even if it's more like walking. The bottom was slimy, though, and uneven, and Trevor had a hard time keeping his head above it at first. Dank water was up his nose and dripping from his hair before he learned to support himself by stroking the water with his arms, rather than putting all his weight on his feet. Somehow, Zephyr managed to stay dry. If it hadn't been for the dark, stinky conditions, it would have been a pleasant trip. They spoke of many things, and, unlike most of us, the mouse happily took an interest in people other than himself. So their conversation centered on Trevor, his time in his hall, his likes and dislikes, and his dreams of home. To his astonishment, the mouse knew all about him and even corrected his memory at points. He knew of where he had lived in Superbia, his friendship with Maggie, and all about his troubles with Mino and Willis. Zephyr, did Epictetus tell you about me? No, I've watched you. You could see me? I'm a mouse, remember? I hide most of the time. But I took an interest in you from the first time I saw you. You're a special boy. That made a warm, happy spot for him in Trevor's chest. He was immensely pleased. Zephyr, do you only help special children like me? He said. Boy, the mouse said, every child is special. Do you think specialness is in short supply? It's the most common thing in the world. Trevor suddenly felt small. A shadow of resentment passed over him, and he went cold. To answer the question, said the mouse, yes and no. I come to all children, but I'm more help to some than others, and I'm no help to certain children. What do you mean? Trevor asked grumpily. I offer my help to every child, but most don't want it. Why? Trevor said, intrigued. Zephyr twirled his whiskers thoughtfully. Hmm, different reasons, he said. Some don't think they need saving. They've believed the lies of the guardians. Epictetus told me about that. The guardians are good liars, if they can be such a thing. And the lies work for a while, but some people keep believing them even after they've stopped working. Why, I've seen children sitting on the cutting board of the chief cook of the pantry as he sharpened his knives, convinced that being served for dinner meant that the cook was preparing a nice little meal for them. And even when they see that boogies eat children, they go to their ends, thinking what may be true for other people couldn't possibly be true for them. It's very sad, really. When Trevor heard that, he didn't know what to say. There are other children, Zephyr went on, who know they've been lied to, but knowing so has ruined them. 
They're not about to be fooled again. Oh, no, they're full of suspicion and won't believe anyone. And when I try to reason with them, they just cover their ears. I don't know why, Trevor said. When I saw you, I just knew you were good. That's good for you, my boy, but it's not enough. Something more is needed for me to help a child. You see, there is a third kind of child, the most miserable of all. The child knows he's been lied to, and he knows deep in his heart that I'm good and have come to help him, but he still can't be helped. Why not? Because he doesn't believe he can do what I can do. He may try, but it's just no use. He's the kind of child who bumps his head on the door. Trevor heard a little mousy sniffle. He felt a wave of sadness pass over him for the third kind of child. Then he realized how close he'd come to being one. They traveled in silence for a while. Eventually, they saw some lights shining ahead. Zephyr directed them towards some shoals on one side. The lights seemed to be floating and were coming right at them. As they grew, Trevor saw that they were torches and that they were mounted to poles, and these were attached to large and these were attached to a large flat bottom boat. The sound of a steam engine and the slap of paddles echoed off the sides of the canyon as it drew nearer. Zephyr dimmed himself. Let's move behind that boulder, my boy, he said. What is it? Trevor asked. A barge from the look of it. Are they looking for us? Doubtful. Word of your escape will take a while to reach the docks. More likely, it's a pleasure cruise. Members of the court sometimes travel the river on holiday. Lucian isn't there, is he? Lucian? You've heard of him, eh? One of the boogies mentioned him. When he said his name, other boogies got scared. Well, they should. He's a nasty one. The nastiest. Let's have a look-see, shall we? Are you serious? Of course I am. Now don't worry, they won't see us. With a feeling of foreboding, Trevor pushed off and drifted toward the boat. The river was wide at this point and they were going with the current. As they drew nearer, the slap of the paddles grew louder. The boat was churning upstream and coming at them. The distance closed with alarming quickness. Trevor's feelings of foreboding grew as the boat drew nearer. They were becoming feelings of dread. They descended on him and numbed his mind. Trevor realized they were heading straight for the bow of the boat and that they were going to be crushed. He tried to move to one side, but they were going too fast. There wasn't time. But before the boat had reached them, Trevor heard the sound of blowing from the top of his head and felt a gentle whoosh. They were swept to one side. Zephyr 
had saved them again. Now he got a clear view of the craft. It was long and low with a steam engine in the middle and a big paddle wheel in the back. The passengers were beneath a canopy port toward the bow. Bow. Long black streamers and flags flapped limply from posts at the corners. What looked like boogies, judging from their long-armed silhouettes, moved up and down the craft, apparently on guard. Let's get a little closer, shall we? whispered the mouse. No, thought Trevor, but before he could say so, there came another blow from the top of his head, and they cut through the water right up to the side of the boat. He grabbed a hold. Now he could really see things. The boogies he had he had seen really were guards, and he was right beneath one who was prowling back and forth, looking into the darkness. Somehow the boogie didn't see them. And those poles Trevor had seen with the flags, well, those were topped with human skulls. The canopy itself was crawling and moving and flickering in the torchlight. Flies. Trevor realized with disgust. But what was under the canopy was more alarming. A pilot steered the vessel by an oversized wheel, and behind him stood a ring of figures. Most were boogies, tall, menacing ones. One of these was all too familiar. It was Gourmand. But, to Trevor's surprise, there were humans, too. Guardians, in fact. And he recognized one. First guardian, Glaucon, was there. And along with the others, he was bowing repeatedly to a black hulk. The little hairs on Trevor's arms began to stand up. The black thing in the middle was like a miniature mountain, and some sort of smoke clung to it. Trevor felt attracted to it and repelled by it at the same time. He couldn't take his eyes off it, yet he could hardly bear to look. It wasn't a boogie. Whatever it was, it was too terrible. Something radiated from it in waves that rippled the air, and it was the darkest thing in that dark place. It was like a hole in the blackness. Don't be afraid, said a little voice from the top of his head. Instantly, Trevor felt a blanket of safety descend over him. Everything that just a moment before had made him want to scream, now seemed indifferent and strangely far away. For the rest of their time there, it was as though he were observing the whole scene from a distance. My lord, Glaucon said, as he rubbed his hands and bowed over and over to the shadow, I am sorry to say that the reports are true. There has been an increase in recidivism. The figures from the inspector of incorrigible children clearly demonstrate it. But 
I hasten to add that the guardians are not to blame. We have known for some time that the Snatcher's spells were losing their potency. We have... My lord, interrupted Gourmand, don't allow this worm to change the subject. He assured us that the guardians were capable, through their ministrations, of compensating for our recent problems. Now... After we have increased their budget time and again, and after we've redirected morsels destined for the pantry to teaching and administrative posts, he dares to come with his excuses. And he even has the audacity to ask for more resources. I say enough. <coughs> Excuse me. A chorus of hear, hear came from the other boogies. <coughs> Excuse me. Spreading his hands and bowing, Gourmand added, If it pleases, my lord, restore the old ways and the old allotments. Glaucon fell to his knees, followed by the other humans. No, my lord, have mercy. Think of the social costs. Think of the long-term consequences. Consequences, roared Gourmand. This is the consequence of failure. He gave the guardian a kick. The human rolled over, groaning. A soft, oily voice came from the mountain. Come now, Gourmand, business before pleasure. Please, please, no more kicking, the first guardian. The tone was more like an adult speaking to a beloved child than something menacing. My good boogies, I have always doubted Glaucon's claims for guardian pedagogy, I, and I assure you, I will compensate you for your sacrifices in good time. But the occasion for our little meeting is the curious weakening of the Snatcher's spells. Ahem, first guardian. First Guardian Glaucon, you may rise. Thank you, my lord, Glaucon said, getting to his feet while holding his side and looking sidelong at Gourmand. Gourmand fainted at him. The Guardian cringed. The shadow continued. But why have the spells weakened? That is why. That is what we should wonder. Very odd, isn't it? And then there is the matter of children disappearing. I am quite concerned. These children are getting help. Can you not see the hand of a conspiracy in this? I am afraid there is only one explanation. The guild is back 
to its old tricks. The biggest boogie Trevor had ever seen stepped forward. Those shopkeepers, my lord, surely not. You forget, as Razel, as Razel, that I have some knowledge of the guild. The boogie's eyes went wide, and he quickly bowed and backed away. Forgive me, Lord. You are pardoned, my good boogie. But do not underestimate shopkeepers. I suspect they are doing more than tending shop. No, I am, con- I am certain they are to blame for the disappearances. Gourmand stepped forward. If that is so, my lord, why not round them up and make an end to the problem? If it were so simple, think you not I would have not done so long ago? One troublesome detail stays my hand. But, my lord, what could possibly prevent your majesty from doing as you please? Nothing, the shadow screeched. Everyone on the boat fell to his knees. Even Trevor felt a need to kneel, and he wasn't even standing on anything. My will is never frustrated, the shadow said with deliberate calm. No, my friends, I bide my time in order to perfect my malice. Measures long in preparation are nearly complete. We will soon be rid of the pesky guild. Azrazel is third division mustered. Yes, my lord. It was at this point that a fly that had taken notice of Trevor became a problem. Zephyr's attention was fixed on the conversation, but the fly's attention was directed toward the base of Trevor's neck. It flew a lazy loop and settled down on his unprotected skin. Before Trevor could whisk it away, it took a generous bite. Ow! Silence, commanded the shadow. Everyone on the boat rose to his feet. A spy, the shadow declared. Goosebumps rose all over Trevor's body, and he felt the hair on his head begin to stand straight up. The boogie scanned the surface of the water. Down you go, whispered Zephyr, and Trevor felt himself plunged beneath the surface. He just had the presence of mind to take a breath as he went under. Up through the murky water he saw a huge boogie, torch in hand, looking down toward him. Trevor had let go of the boat and was again being carried downstream by the current. The boogie shrunk as the vessel churned upstream. As it did, Trevor's lungs began to beg for air. Not yet, a mousy voice bubbled through the water. 
When he couldn't take it a second longer, he burst through the surface. The boat had become just a sliver of light receding in the distance. That was close. Really, my boy, you must learn to exercise the little self-control, said the mouse. But it bit me, Trevor said, heaving for air. Of course it did, but trust me, a boogie's bite is much worse. Trevor didn't disagree. He just felt cold, colder than he had ever felt. Not physically cold, although he was shivering. They were drifting in the dark now, since the mouse hadn't started glowing again. It was in that utter blackness. With his head just above the water and a mouse perched on top, Trevor asked a question. What was that thing? After a pause, Zephyr said, That was Lucian. What is he? After another pause, the mouse said, He was a man once. A man? Yes. Trevor thought the mouse sounded different, sort of distant. After a moment, he dared to ask, What were they talking about? About me and Epictetus and those like him, but mostly about you, my boy. Me? Not to worry, not you specifically, but children like you. They need you. You see, you keep suburbia and superbia in business. The boogies want you for reasons you know, but the guardians need you, too. They feed their delusions as well as keep them from being eaten. It is a strange partnership. The boogies snatch children and place them under the care of the guardians. The most pliable children become guardians themselves and the rest are sent to the pantry. But there are some people of neither party who work to save as many children as they can. I am one, and Epictetus is another. There are more, but not many. But, as you heard, they know of our little conspiracy, and from the sound of it, they are about to do something about it. When I get you out of here, you must warn the others. How do I get out? We'll use the drain. What's that? It's just what it sounds like. We're nearly there. As they drifted along, Trevor noticed the current speeding up. Zephyr had begun glowing again, but dimly. Whitecaps were forming on the water, and he could hear a faint roar ahead. His heart began to race. Look! the mouse shouted. Trevor couldn't see anything, but something was vibrating, and the air was filled with mist. Without warning, the water fell away before them, and they were swept to one side. 
In the faint light, Trevor saw a chasm to the left with a wall of rushing water spiraling down. The water rose to the right. They had been sucked into a vast loop and they and they were heading lower. Zephyr, what's happening? No fear, my boy. Perfectly normal. Everything is going according to plan. It was a good thing Trevor couldn't see very well because the terror of the sight might have frozen him and made it impossible to follow the instructions he was about to receive. As Zephyr had predicted, they had come to the drain. The great whirlpool at the end of the river. Their velocity was increasing the closer they got to the bottom. The rush of the water was deafening now, but Zephyr managed to shout over it. When I tell you, take the deepest breath you can hold. The swell was all around him, and Trevor was having difficulty keeping his head above it. <coughs> Excuse me. Just before he was about to go under, Zephyr shouted, Now! In went the air and down went Trevor. Down, down, down he shot in a mighty surge, twisting, spinning along with the press. It seemed he couldn't hold his breath a second more. It, <laughs> it seemed he couldn't hold his breath a second more when he saw a dim light through the dirty water. He sped toward it, then burst out of the darkness into a gray expanse. He, I'm sorry, it was open air and his grateful lungs sucked in life-giving oxygen. But he was falling now, along with the water. The fall ended with a smack of the, and the smack that stung and pushed the air back out of his lungs. He was underwater again and began float and being forced down. He struggled desperately against it. Fortunately, an upward current took over and his head broke into the opening and the opening air once more. He found himself in the shadows of the of a large pond passing sorry, panting for air. A shoreline shone weakly in the evening twilight. Amazingly, Zephyr was still with calm. Oh, I messed up. Let me go back here, kiddos. He found himself in the shadows of a large pond, panting for air, a shoreline shone weakly in an evening twilight. Amazingly, Zephyr was still with him. Make for those rocks. We should be able to spend the night hidden among them. Trevor pulled himself onto the land and crawled a little way to a small space between two boulders. The sand there was cool and soft. 
he collapsed into it, and sudden weariness came over him. In an instant, he was asleep. Okay, kiddos, it's getting late. I need to upload this podcast or you guys won't get to listen to it. I love you very much. Can't wait to see you again. Hope you all have a great day at school tomorrow and happy Friday tomorrow. Love you. Night, night. Thank you.